So he basically asks God to help him lie to his wife. everyone and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And we're coming at you again in this second of the episodes of Musical Month. We are very excited to be talking about musicals this month. We are This is kind of a first time that we are foraying into this, this field of musicals, not necessarily the last or... We're not binding ourselves to this format either of going, you know, a month at a time with musicals, but we wanted to pay our respects to musicals this month. So uh, we did Hamilton last week, and this week we are talking about a classic play, one that has made the rounds uh, both in the previous century and this one on, on Broadway and beyond. We are talking about Fiddler on the Roof this week. Yeah, we are really excited, and we when we picked the first two scripts that we were going to do for Musical Month, we knew we wanted wanted to do something that was at least two scripts that lots and lots of people would have known. You know, right now, pretty much everybody knows something about Hamilton. And pretty much everybody knows something about Fiddler on the Roof. Even people who aren't from the world of theater know, know of, have some familiarity with what Fiddler on the Roof is about, what the story is. They might not know it very well, but they certainly know tradition, tradition. you know, (laughs) songs like that are part of the culture now because of how popular this musical has been. So we picked two musicals that were hugely different. There's not a lot of similarities between (laughs) Fiddler on the Roof and Hamilton, uh, but also that have have something in common that they're part of our culture now. Yeah, absolutely. For many generations, actually, this play is part of the culture. Like, I know I grew up with this, and it was not necessarily uh, as I'll get to the context in a minute, but like, I grew up watching this as like when I was sick, I would watch Fiddler on the Roof. I oh, think there's yeah. like. I've, I've seen the movie probably four or five times, but I can't even tell you how many productions I've seen on stage of Fiddler on the yeah. Roof. It might be the most produced script I've ever personally seen. Of all the plays I've seen across my life, this one might be the one I've seen the most. I've probably seen North of five to ten productions of Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, everybody does it. High schools do it. Community (laughs) theaters do it. Professional theaters do it. I Mm -hmm. I don't remember the last time it toured on Broadway, I guess. I don't know uh, know, how far off we are from that years-wise, but surely there's a revival coming around soon, I'd guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there is video evidence of me as a six-year-old singing like, uh, if I were a rich man. So this is like <laughs> a very a very old play in my mind. It's been around in my mind for a long time. This is, uh, uh, just to give you some context for the play, we like to tell you a little bit about uh, the, the play's history as a play. It was originally produced in 1964. It opened in on, on Broadway at the Imperial Theater. Um, and then it had a whole bunch of revivals, most notably on Broadway. These revivals were in 1976, 1981, 1990, 2004 and 2015. So it's had five revivals um, in total. Uh, the most recent one just closed in 2016. So it was only two years ago that the, the most recent revival ended. And I'm guessing, you know, in another five years or so, they'll be starting to remount another one. It is such a popular And even play. if you can't see it on Broadway, do a quick Google search. Surely some high school or some community theater within 50 miles of you is doing a production as part of their season. I mean, it's just, it's done so much. And, and I don't 
you know, for a lot of scripts that would have been produced that much, I would probably say, oh, that script is overdone. And yeah. I, I just, I'm not sure why I wouldn't say that about Fiddler. Perhaps because it's so, it's just such a wonderful story and an experience to go see. Maybe it, it lasts a little bit longer before you feel like it gets overdone. I'm, I'm not sure why else I wouldn't say that because yeah. I, I don't know that I think that the productions of Fiddler on the Roof are very unique from each other. It's not like Shakespeare where you see two productions of a Shakespeare script and you're seeing two different plays. Really, right, right. You know, I mean, Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof is basically the same everywhere you see it. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's just such a charming, wonderful story and experience when you get to when you get to see it. So if there's a yeah. community theater, a high school, a professional, whatever, doing it near you, I'd really encourage you to go see it if you haven't yet. It's a, it's a remarkable experience to be a part of. Yeah, definitely. So many rich characters too. So even seeing it a second or a third time, the what the actor brings to each of these characters yeah. changes the performance completely. So... So yes, absolutely. Get out and see it. Uh, and just to, just to kind of know, we, we like to do a lot of plays that are highly acclaimed. Uh, this was nominated for 10 Tonys in its original production and won nine of them. So uh, it, it's it's been a big deal for a long time. It will continue to be a long, big deal for a long time after. And it, oh, also, it was a film in 1971, which if you've yes. seen any part of it has probably been a little bit. And at this least, of was that back film. when musical films were very faithful to the script. So the movie that you see is basically just the musical filmed. That's not true very much anymore. We tend to do a lot of changes to the scripts when we bring musicals into the into the yeah. filmed format, but New this is and... yeah, but this is more or less exactly the same in the film. There are some changes and people who love the script more than me probably could tell you exactly what they are, but it it's fairly faithful. What probably I would guess we'll see in the next years is um you know where they're doing those live musicals mm-hmm. on TV right now like they did uh Jesus Christ Superstar and Peter yeah. Pan and I would guess Fiddler on the Roof's got to be in somebody's rotation for that wouldn't you yeah. think Yeah I would I think mean, so it's, yeah It's so filmable and it's so popular I I would guess that's on the docket although I have no insider knowledge so <laughs> who knows but I I would think so Summary-wise, as we kind of capture a brief look at what the story is before we dive into talking about it, it's really sort of two stories that involve the same characters. The first story is a political story, and it's a story about a Jewish community in a small town in Russia. Now, in the early 20th century, and this is my knowledge of this is just the result of Googling it so that I, you know, could understand the context of the play, in the early ni- in the early 20th century, there were a lot of Jewish people coming into Russia at the time as a result of Russia's annexation of Poland. And so Russia created sort of an area of Russia where the Jewish people could live. They weren't allowed to move around or live in outside of this area. So lots of Jewish communities sprung up in this one area of Russia. And then as the years went by, anytime the government would need to distract its population or incite or you know incite some have a hostile other to blame things on, they would just sort of create tension and violence in these Jewish communities and eventually drives them out. So that is, you know, that is the political story of this play. It's about a Jewish community in a small town in Russia, and it's about their interactions with the Russian government and the Russians as they are blamed and attacked by the Russian government, people, etc., 
the the story, and that involves the story of this Jewish community, including Tevye and his family. The second piece of the story, which is perhaps what the story is more well known for, is a personal familial story about Tevye and his family. And Tevye is a, a Jewish father, a papa in his community, and he has five daughters, and three of them over the course of the play get married. And each of these three daughters gets married in a way that shakes up the traditions in this Jewish town, tradition being very important to Jewish culture around the world and being kind of the focus of this play. So each each of his first three daughters gets married in a way that's designed to shake up the culture and the community in this Jewish town and force Tevye to choose between tradition and family, tradition and what his daughter's want and you know uh, choose for their lives so that's a, that's basically what happens uh, yeah. the the idea of these daughters getting married getting matches made for them by the town matchmaker is kind of the one of the I wants of the play is I need I want to marry off my daughters to men who are gonna take care of them well who are wealthy and educated and kind and then that plan gets disrupted by what the daughters want as well so, so uh, there's there's going to be a whole bunch of themes that we're going to be talking about throughout this play. This is a theme-rich play. We've already mentioned two of them. Um, and so we're going to be bouncing around a lot. This is a good one for you to have read or interacted with this play before because we'll be, we'll be ping-ponging a little bit. Um, to start with, one of the big themes is home, right? Um, and, and what is home? What are you willing to sacrifice for home? What, um, you know, how much are you willing to put up with because it's home? And then the value of home when it is threatened. Um, how, how do some of those themes begin to come out throughout the play as, as the action develops? Yeah, well, I, I'd addend, you know, it's not just home, it's home and family. It's this place of belonging because the question for Tevya of the play is, because these are my daughters and my family, is uh, do I have a higher obligation to them or to my culture, my religion, my tradition? Each of his daughters, his first three daughters, in turn, forces him to ask that question. The first daughter, uh, I, I should have said this earlier, I'm really bad at pronunciation. <laughs> I bring that up anytime there's complicated pronunciation, and I'll bring it up again because I have no prayer at saying these names right <laughs> for this time together. I'm going to say something confidently, and I'm sure I'm wrong, and that'll just be what it is. So everybody yep. just bear with me on that. Um, so... The, the the oldest of the daughters that is the first to get married, she has a long time romance, um, budding romance, friendship with the one of the poor tailors in town. Uh, Jackson, tell me how to pronounce the tailor's name. Model. Model. So Model and Zeitel, is that the first daughter? Zeitel, yeah. Zeitel. They have grown up together, childhood friends, and they've fallen in love. And they give the each other a pledge, not an engagement, crucially. That comes later for a different daughter. But a pledge that they are going to be married. And because she's the first daughter, Tevya and Golda? Golda, yeah. Golda are working to with the matchmaker to find her a different match, the first daughter, and they do make a match, and then it comes out that Zeidel and Model want to marry each other, and so they say to Tevye, look, you've already made an agreement with another man, uh, but we want to marry each other. We're going to be our own matchmakers. And that's the first time that, you know, the big opening number of the of the play is tradition, all of these traditions, the papa gets to decide, and then the reprise that follows each of these daughters, you know, problems with marriage is Tevye 
going back and forth between tradition and then the wishes, the wants, the obligations of his family. So the first daughter says, we, we're in love. We want to be our own matchmaker. We want to marry each other. And they say, Father, what are your obligations? Are they to this member of your community, to your religion, to the matchmaker? Are they to us? And they put him in that position. And that happens two more times. Right. And that, that, yeah, absolutely. Throughout the play, he is kind of forced into this role of, you know, where where do you allow the ground to erode under you? Um, tradition in this town is what keeps them alive. It, he, it, it is referred to quite a bit as uh, uh, their tenuous existence is like a fiddler on the roof, uh, hence the title of the play. And how do we keep our balance? Because of tradition. So they, it's, it's this town that is, it's not necessarily ideal, Right. Like they, they kind of it, they work too hard. They don't get enough sleep. And yet there is this value, this deep uh, familial value based in tradition and uh, and shared values within this community. And uh, and most people in that community, maybe rightly so, we can get into that, um, say that if the tradition are to it were to be bucked, they would lose that sense of um, togetherness around it. Right. And, and, and when you, when you try to overthrow the system, as some of the characters within this do, you see the breakdown of those values and uh, other extenuating circumstances affect it eventually. But surely the, the kind of moments where, the, where the daughters all wind up, um, in varying degrees, um, bucking Tevia's ability as the papa to assign uh, spouses to them, um, uh, uh, increases and increases the length to which the tradition is left behind and thus the maybe the values of the family that join them together become more tenuous. I'm glad you brought that up because that's really the structure of the familial part of the script is that each daughter increasingly asks Tevia to make a larger leap away from tradition. The first daughter says, well, we want to be our own matchmaker, but he's a Jewish boy. He lives in town. He clearly loves me. He's working hard. He's working to get a used sewing machine so he can take care of me. So it's a fairly traditional match if the matchmaker had made it. Mm-hmm. So, But it's just, it's just a small leap, which is that we love each other. We want to be our own matchmaker and match with each other. The second daughter then says, well, I've, I have the same thing. I want to be my own matchmaker. I've fallen in love with this, this Jewish boy, but he's a communist and he's going to leave. Um, he, he's, right. he's running off to go help the, with the Russian Revolution. And so they say, well, we want to get married as well, but he's going away. So that probably right. means eventually the second daughter will have to move away with him. So it's mm. not a Jewish boy in the town, and that's an increasing gap. And the, the husband is going to abandon her, Tevye says. Right. And that one, he says that, like, he tells him we're engaged. Um, Perchik, right. Oh, that's right. The, Perchik, the revolutionary teacher who is teaching the girls, uh, Tevye hires him as a teacher, basically, uh, uh, an in-home teacher for his younger girls. He he doesn't ask. Model model uh, the the tailor in town is very nervous about asking Tevia or just just like bringing up that they had given each other a pledge and then asking for permission to become um, engaged. To become engaged, Perchik like the first <laughs> just right up says, "Hey, we're engaged." 
Yeah, in fact, and, he says, we're not asking your permission, we're asking your blessing. Yeah. So there becomes, there's already basically all the stuff that the first daughter had, and then there's this added layer of, we're not asking your permission, really, and I'm le- the, the, the male of this pair is leaving, going far away. Eventually, we learn he ends up in Siberia. Yeah, in prison. <laughs> in prison in Siberia. So, you know, that is an increasing, now it's not just this little jump away from tradition, it's a fairly large jump away from the tradition of their town. And then the third daughter takes it a step further, and she wants to marry a Russian who's not Mm -hmm. even Jewish. Yeah, a Russian uh, soldier who uh, happens right. to be in town. They they meet um, when the when the soldier uh, Fiedka uh, uh, intervenes in a situation where some of the other Russians are are maybe uh, being rude to Chava and. Uh, and and he intervenes and he, they share a book and uh, they eventually form a relationship around this and she attempts to do a similar uh, make a similar situation and say that I love him I want to marry him and that that becomes for a good chunk of the play too much for Tevia right that is um, the third daughter is the daughter to which he says no you cannot marry a Russian soldier outside of the faith who mm-hmm. is not really a part of this town or a part of this community and she does it anyway. So, yep. not, so it's not just, you know, the second daughter was, we're getting married whether you want to or not. Can you give us your blessing? Tevia says yes, and then they get married. This The mm-hmm. third daughter says, we're getting married whether you want to or not. Can you give us your blessing? Tevia says no, and they get married anyway. Yeah. So where do you think Tevia is at the end of that? I want to, uh, at the end of the play, I know we're bouncing around a lot, but I don't know that we'll make our way back to this. And I think this is important for Tevia. At the end of the play, there's maybe some question about where he is, especially with Chava and Fiedka. Um, where do you think he is by the end? Right. So so when Chava and Fiedka leave to get married because Tevia has said no, Tevia decides for his family that Chava is no longer a member of their family. He cuts yeah, her so off she's dead. in our traditional, you know, understanding of being cut off from the family, but also cuts her out. And she's dead to us. She's no longer our daughter. In fact, later on, when Golda says, well, we, I wish we had all of our daughters together, Tevya says, yeah, we do. Right. Like the one that you're thinking of, she's not a daughter anymore. So then the end of the play comes around. And those of you who know the play know that what happens at the end of the script is that the Russian government forces this Jewish community to leave. It says you have three days to be out. So the whole community is forced to uproot their lives and leave. So Tevya is taking his family to America where uh, his brother-in-law, Golda's brother, I guess, lives already. And so Hava comes as they're, you know, the family is saying goodbye and the other daughters and the mother all, you know, want to say goodbye. They hug her and they, they're excited to see her. Tevya ignores her until they're they're saying their goodbyes and then he prompts Zeidel to remember to say, God be with you. To mm-hmm. Hava, so th- that's all the, the interaction that is really had. He doesn't yeah. talk directly to them, but he prompts Zidal to say, "God be with you." Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean? Where does he where does he land in this tradition family balance? He has been forced farther and farther away from the structure of the play in a set of three pretty classic playwriting structure. Three things. The third thing pushes him over the edge. Right. He says, I'm choosing tradition this time. I'm choosing religion, Jewish community over what my daughter wants. But does the end of the play change that decision? Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure because he doesn't talk directly to them. He doesn't say, I approve. 
but he still wants to remind them, God be with you. God is with you. Mm-hmm. And it comes after a moment where she's, she's, so she's leaving and it comes right before a moment, excuse me, where he says, where she wants to write to them and she wants to maintain contact with the family. And this moment, um, so this moment of, of him finally breaking the embargo against her and at least talking through title to her, um, allows the family to say we are still connected to you um because because uh, assumedly Chava and um Fiedka are staying in Russia because Fiedka's they a Russian They actually say sh- they are. They're going to move to a different town in Russia. Yeah. And crucially, they say, we have to leave. We're run- Basically, we're running away from the army because we can't abide morally the fact that this community is being treated so badly. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the Fiedka decides not to side with the Russian army and the Russian government, which is an important step in his relationship with his Jewish wife's family. Yeah, absolutely. And so that 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 allows them to stay connected to the family, though they will be in America. They can at least write to them. And I I, I, I think I agree. I don't know that Tevia necessarily, um, you know, comes all the way over to the to the other side in the end of like, oh, OK, you guys are fine. But I think he allows them. He allows his tra- guard of tradition to break for a second enough to let them be a part of the family in some small way again. Right. I think that he decides that the the desire for his daughter to be taken care of outweighs his commitment to traditional values like shunning her from the community. Perhaps not his desire for her to be married to Fiedka or for her to bear grandkids by Fiedka or to live in a town in Russia or to be married to a Russian soldier, but his desire for her to be protected by God. Yeah. Which is potentially the oldest Jewish tradition, really. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good segue into talking about religion in this play. Um, religion in general, we're, we're engaging with uh, the Jewish people and, and the Jewish faith. Um, and, and, and it's very prevalent throughout, right down to Tevye talks to God for probably a sixth oh, of the play. I love <laughs> Tevye's discussions with God. It might be my favorite feature of the play. Absolutely. It's so charming and human, and <laughs> it's just a delightful thing to watch, even though it's mostly complaining. Yeah, it's a lot of complaining and a lot of conspiracy, right? Right. Like yeah. there's the whole scene, the the one complication with Seidel and Model's marriage beyond him, you know, them pledging aside was that uh Tevia has given her away already to the butcher in town who is an old widower and uh named a Laser Wolf and they have a big number. It's very fun and raucous and uh and they agree on this, and then he has to go and tell both Laser Wolf, but also his his wife, Tevia's wife, that he's said, actually, it's okay for Zeidel to marry Model. Right, and, and it's okay for Zeidel to marry not the rich butcher, right, but the <laughs> dirt poor tailor. Yep. <laughs> so he basically asks God to help him lie to his wife and give him inspiration to make this all go smoothly. And then, and and after the end of a really great number where he just lies his way through a, a, like a dream, a, a yeah. vision sequence, uh-huh. <laughs> um, he like mouths thank you to God as they both go to bed together. And and there's so many moments like that. He has a delightful conversation with God at the beginning of Act Two, where <laughs> yeah. he's talking about first of all he he's 
pining that at the end of uh, Model and Zydel's wedding, the Russian soldiers come and destroy things. Yeah. And he's talking about well, that, you know, why did you have to let that happen? Did you really have to give that to her as a wedding present? And then he says, oh, and by the way, I know you're busy with all this, but look, Model really wants this sewing machine. <laughs> Could you find your way to give him the sewing machine? Yep. And he, he just, he, he, it's like God is this, it's this partner is mm-hmm. who's, who he really has a sense of God listening to him in prayer, which yeah. is a fascinating device, you know, because it's not, prayer is not especially theatrical as a device in a lot of ways. Yeah. Talking to someone who's not there and does not give response in the traditional ways we know of response is not especially theatrical. It's talking to a wall at mm-hmm. least in terms of the theatrical elements in plays like this. But the way that Tevye does it is just so delightful. I agree. I think that that is, it's it's something that for, for many people is, is an understandable thing. You know, many people, whether you talk to God or whether you just talk to yourself in moments where you're on your own and are complaining, we've all done this before, right? Like we've, we've, yelled at the universe or God, why, why today? Why did my, in Tevye's case, why did my horse have to throw a shoe today right before the Sabbath? Or, you know, why, why is my life so hard? We all do this. And that's, that makes those not just soliloquies, you know, like in a, in a Shakespeare where a character is just uh, expounding by himself or herself on stage. It's like he's talking to someone about his problems. And that's something that is very understandable for us as, as an audience member to jump into and, and engage in those scenes where it's just Tevia on stage talking and basically just handling exposition for a good chunk of yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of the prayer just is a way to create exposition. That's right. And and he his discussions with God don't really lead him to a lot of revelations, but they reveal a lot of who Tevye is. And that's perhaps why this use of prayer works so well as a theatrical device is that it reveals character. It doesn't yeah. really advance the plot much. Uh, what it does is tell you about Tevye and about his family, the kind of people they are. They're people who are serious about their religion, but not so much so that they're not willing to bend. The way that Tevye talks to God is very familiar, yep. very casual. You kind can of imagine irreverent. that the ra- yeah, kind of irreverent. You can imagine the rabbi in town is not praying like Tevye is praying. So you get you get this great balance, which is that Tevye is a man of faith, believes strongly in God, wants his family to follow God, but also has this willingness to bend to the practicalities of his life. And one of the practicalities is, is which is he was rich. Yeah. And so he sings a great, you know, one of the classic Fiddler on the Roof songs, If I Were a Rich Man, yep. sings to God and says, really, I know that you have this plan, but would it really mess up the plan if I were rich? <laughs> It's no great shame to be poor, but it's no great it's not honor, a great either. honor either. Yeah, he, <laughs> he says things like that. He says things to God that lots of people think to themselves, mm-hmm. and so it, the, using prayer as a way for him to voice his inner thoughts really works well as a theatrical device. And I think in general, too, you mentioned the rabbi, and certainly the rabbi is, in general, would be a much more reverent individual. But even him, like, someone comes up to him in the opening scene and is like, is there a proper blessing for the tsar, uh, the the ruler of Russia? And, um, And he says, yes, of course there is. May God bless and keep the tsar far away from us. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The the whole community has some 
there's some willingness to be comic with their faith. And that's mm-hmm. probably more of a feature of a playwright than of any specific Jewish community. But it, it, it works so well to have the to, to have the characters in this play treat religion so seriously and yet have their conversations about it be treated so lightly. It allows the audience not to feel like they have to be uh, under, understanding strict Jewish law to be participating in this story. Yeah, I agree. It lowers the reverence and and accessibility of right. God in that in that scenario, both for the characters and for the audience. Right. That I love the way you put that. It it allows more accessibility because as a person who's not Jewish, I don't know that my conceptions of God and my relationships with God are the same as a Jewish person's. But yeah. what is nice about Tevia's monologues is that they immediately say to me, "That doesn't matter." Tevya (laughs) talks to God a lot like you talk to yourself. Right. So don't worry about it. All of the differences in what you're worried about, the cultural differences, will you understand the way this Jewish community understands faith and their strict laws? Don't worry about any of that. Tevya is is complaining to God because he's not rich, and you've done that too. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep, it, it, it identifies a common commonality with the mate with the character we spend most of the time with. So it's a great device for that. Um, I think also the you, you mentioned uh, people. Uh, the play deals with like this melting pot, right? Both both it is bringing the tradition of Judaism and this Jewish community to the audience, but it also deals with uh, these people in the middle of Russia. Right and and with the people of Russia, as you mentioned in your in your uh, kind of brief his- history of it, they're they're this small town. They're they're basically kind of a, an adjunct town within the town itself. So right. it's a Jewish community of people living in a small Russian town. So yeah. Tevya does a big introduction in the middle of the tradition song and introduces us to a lot of the important Jewish characters within their community. And then he starts talking about how there's this larger circle of the town, which includes uh, the non-Jewish community, the constable, yeah. the priest, the blah, blah, blah. Yep. And, and, he, and he says, so we don't bother them and so far they don't bother us. Well, now this is the, I mean, this is, we get to see the moment where that flips, right? You start to see some tensions. Where it no longer becomes possible to simply not bother each other. Yeah. The tensions begin to rise and it's, I think, I think uh, varying productions could take this different ways, but the ones that I've seen at least, they do a decent job at making this a pretty layered issue, right? Basically, the larger government of Russia is saying we need demonstrations made. Like you said, it, you know, it's time to make, a, make a, uh, an example of the Jews in Russia and make them scapegoats for the problems going on. And so they begin handing down, um, I forget the word they use, but it's like demonstrations or... Uh, yeah, it's a word that starts with a P. It's like podgam or something. I'm, yeah. I'm saying that wrong. But it's a very specific word for political demonstrations that are designed to make an enemy of someone. Mm-hmm. And you have this this constable as a character. Constable? Am I British? Um, <laughs> constable as a character in the play who um, is both callous but also um, you, you get the feeling that he's between a rock and a hard place. Well, right? he and Tevya, and I, I, I'm not totally sure – why Tevya 
like within the world of the play is such an important member of the Jewish community, mm-hmm. potentially just because he has five doll or five daughters, uh, potentially because of his character and who he I is. I think it's because of what he sells. Oh, I think he, he sells, sells the cheese dairy. and milk to yeah, everyone. Sure. Yeah, that could be because he's everybody knows him as the salesman. Yeah. In any case, a lot of the community members know and go to Tevia. And so the constable, knowing this, tends to come to Tevia with the news. This is what is going to happen. I, I hope you understand. And it seems like he and Tevia have a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm. They might not be friends, but they're friendly. Yeah. And you get the sense that, you know, he's not, the constable isn't necessarily a big fan of, of what he has to do. Um, he, but in the same, in the same sentence, he'll say, you know, kind of the, a racial slur against uh, Jewish people, you know, so he'll, he's, he's a bit of a wild but, card. But, but he seems to be saying it sort of as a joke. At yeah, least that's how like, I read it. Maybe a joke in poor taste, mm-hmm. but like he'll call him a Jewish dog, but it's sort of like, uh, this is what people say. Right. For, he'll say like, for a Jewish dog, you're a pretty good guy. Right. Yeah, and and but then you know, right in the middle of that sentence of him saying, basically, we're going to have to rough people up next week. Um, and like you said, it doesn't seem like he particularly likes to do that. The constable, he'll yeah. he'll say, you know, this isn't what I want. the mm-hmm. The government is telling me I have to do this. They're telling me that there's troublemakers somewhere. I know it's not you. But this is what I'm being told I have to do. You know, it's the classic problem which has plagued human history. I'm just following orders. Mm-hmm. And and yet, when when inhibitions are removed, specifically when everyone gets really drunk, they all um, <laughs> they all get along pretty much, right? Like throughout the whole play, there are these moments of of tension, racial tension between people, people being respectful of of uh, the Russians because they know that they have the power to really hurt them, um, and then vice versa as well. Um, some of the the familiarity with 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 the uh, the the people in town that the Russian soldiers show is there too. But then in the bar scene, the scene where everyone's getting drunk, everyone's toasting Laser Wolf and Tevia because uh, Laser Wolf is going to marry Tevia's daughter. There's there's a Russian uh, cohort in there, a, a small group of Russian sh- soldiers. And eventually, as the uh, the festivities really get rolling in there, that it stops and there's this great uh, number that they do that's like a Russian blessing to for for the marriage. Oh, I love that moment. I love mm-hmm. that scene. You know, for a bar scene, it's pretty normal. But what makes it so extraordinary is that it's this Jewish community celebrating one of their oldest traditions, marrying off a daughter to a wealthy person. That means your daughter's going to be taken care of. Is you know is going to have a good life. It's this joyous occasion, and the Russians join in in the joy. Mm -hmm. In so many other stories, that could be a moment where the Russians are really made out to be bad guys. Right. And they ruin the joy. They Mm -hmm. beat every, you know, they bring out their billy clubs and beat everybody up and say, it happens later. It does does happen (laughs) later at the wedding. And so that's, that's what you're saying. You know, it's a balanced, complicated picture in this play. Because in one moment, you have the Russians really showing that they too understand this joy, a wedding, a joy, an engagement. They too understand that they have a blessing of their own to provide. And then the wedding scene later on, they are the destructors, (laughs) the enemies, the people who ruin it. So yeah. they, it's a it's a balanced, complicated picture. 
And this is one of the scenes where dance, uh, dance throughout the play as you are watching it, is a prevalent thing. Obviously, musicals have dance, but dance is used as a, a structural change within the play as well. Um, twice specifically that I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, in this it's scene, not just that there's dancing because it's a musical. You know, in this Jewish community, dancing is very important and has very specific rules. And then to the Russian community, dancing is very important. So I think the two times you're thinking of are the two we've been talking about, right? The bar scene and the wedding. Am I right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So in the bar scene, uh, the, the Russians sing this number and there's general merriment happening, mostly separate still, but they're starting to hang out with each other. But then one of the Russian soldiers essentially challenges Tevye to a dance off. <laughs> <laughs> in, right, the, in, the, yeah. in, in the older form of that, right? Like he he holds out his hand and he asks him, as, uh, physically asking him to dance, basically. Um, and Tevia takes this moment, as many of you have seen, I've seen it in the film, I've seen it in the play as well, but there's this moment where he kind of looks back at everyone and checks if it's okay, thinks about it for a second, and then they start to dance and slowly they kind of teach each other different dance moves. Yeah, Tevye starts and, and saying, every I like production it. I've seen, that's basically what happens is that it starts out as a like sort of a, this is how I dance as a Jewish person. This is how I dance as a Russian person. And then it ends up that they teach each other parts mm -hmm. of their culture, which is again, a beautiful metaphor. And then it's sort of, heartbreakingly contrasted when later on in the wedding scene dance is again so important and the Russians break in and ruin that moment. Yeah. And what happens in the wedding is that, you know, in the culture and the rules of the time, men and women didn't dance together potentially just in public, potentially at all. Right. Uh, I'm not totally sure, but at the very least in public. And so at the wedding, men and women sit on different sides and celebrate. It's like a curtain. In, yeah, and they, <laughs> they celebrate like a, a wall between them. They celebrate in their own genders. And uh, what's the name of the 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 Jewish communist that's the teacher? Perchik. Right? Perchik. Uh, pronunciation. Perchik. He is the one who's been a radical all along, has all these ideas about breaking their traditions, and he stands up at the wedding and says, look, this <laughs> the, is stupid. In it's the middle a of a sin. big argument. Yeah, it's not a sin to dance at a wedding. And he goes <laughs> to uh, Devia's second daughter and says, you know, will you dance with me? And everybody says, oh, that's terrible. That's against yeah. tradition, blah, blah, blah. And, and Perchik says, let's ask the rabbi. Rabbi, <laughs> is it a sin? And the rabbi basically has to say, well, no, <laughs> yeah, like looks really. through a book, tries to find the rule. And so Perchik convinces them all to dance together. The, <laughs> the couples, you know, Tevye and his wife get to dance. The, the new bride and groom get to dance. Perchik dances with Tevye's daughter. And, and it, it, you know, it's this, it's this moment where the tradition, which is held, which is important and holds a lot of cultural significance, is overcome for potentially something better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and Perchik does a lot of that throughout the play, right? He's kind of this catalyst for change quite often. Someone who's not not afraid to kind of stand in someone's face and, and yell at people. Um, but also, uh, Hoddle does it too. I mean, she's she's a huge part of, of coming to Tevia with that information uh, that they're that they're needing to, uh, that they are engaged to, to each other and needing to pursue this together because they love each other. And love too is this huge theme that is thrown around throughout this play, both by, you know, Perchik in that scene, but also uh, just the nature of the way the girls get engaged, the daughters get engaged. It's all about love, right? Like, right. that's kind of what the they keep making choices is, for. And the question for Tevye is, this new thing is happening called love. 
And it's not that they don't know yeah. what love is, but he ta- he has this beautiful duet with Tevia with his wife Golda, and where they talk about how when they got married, they had never seen each other before. Right. And their parents basically said, "Well, you'll learn to love each other." And so now, years and years and miles and chores and chores later, <laughs> Tevia finally asks his wife this question in this tender duet: "Do you love me?" Yeah. Have we have we learned to love each other? Because our daughters say that they've fallen in love with these men, and that's not really how it works for us. That sort of young romantic love is a new thing to Teddy. Right? It's like the newest fashion trend. Mm-hmm. And he says to his wife, "We've been married for years now. Have we reached love?" Right. <laughs> and they both go on this journey of like. You know, if that's not what love, what is? Like she describes, you know, 25 years of milking his cow and doing his laundry and making the meals. Um, And she, from the description, she goes on a much longer journey than he does, right? Like there's no moment where she turns around and asks if he loves her too. Right, but he says it at the end. He says it at the end, but he says it. The conclusion they come to, in fact, is just like, I suppose I do. Right. (laughs) It's not even, it doesn't really even end in this big romantic moment. It ends in in a real human, small, subtle moment. It does. Which is, it's not, you know, it's not grand, but it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful realization, you know? It's, it doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. Like, that's the line. (laughs) Like, yeah, so I I think the, the, the analogy of a fashion, almost like a fashion uh, wave that's coming through that he's trying to identify with is a great one because he just keeps getting surrounded and blindsided by it. And he's like, do you love me? <laughs> is this right? And it, we- it's another moment where the script does something subtle and balanced because a different story, a different storyteller might have taken this script and ragged on tradition. And said, all these stupid traditions that these old people have, they got to be overcome. They're anarchic, <laughs> you know, they're terrible. They're too controlling. There's no freedom. Oh, blah, 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 how bad they are. This script takes a balanced view and says, yes, there's this idea of two young people falling in love and deciding to get married from that. And that certainly has its merits. But then it takes a moment to say, Tevia and his wife's relationship, the traditional one, is not some stupid old thing that was never really real and blah, 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 blah. It has its tender, love, romantic moments as well. It, it has its merits as well. Yeah, and that, that's pretty consistent throughout the play. You, you, don't, you, you don't get the sense that, like you said, it's not ragging on tradition all across the way. Like, there are people who benefit wonderfully from tradition and it's a right, great because, community you know if if the story was going to rag on tradition one of the things it might do is put tevia and his wife in the position of just wanting to marry their daughters off to whoever right not caring sort of the picture of the callous parents who are forcing you to marry this person you really don't want to marry as we've seen in so many fairy tales mm-hmm. but this story is so much richer and subtler than fairy tales because it paints tevia and his wife as really earnestly wanting the best for their daughters wanting to find them the best matches that will give them the best lives the happiest lives and what they think is the best and what their daughters think is the best comes to a head. And that's the question. It's not a question of whose tradition, whose ideas are right. It's a question of two 
you know, maybe not morally equal or or all of those things, but two justified ideas clashing in a family. Yeah. Two pictures of the world, which could both lead to good things. Set on a cusp of history, right, where this is all coming around. So, I mean, you have the revolutionaries fighting against the Tsar, who would, in a couple years, be overthrown by the revolution. Um, you have you have these movements of love as important. Uh, again, we, we did a little bit of research on this, not a whole lot, but if we did finer research on this, we would see that huge social movements are all in upheaval right now. The focus is shifting to a more, uh, you know, a, a global perspective, but also very individualistic in some ways. And so that's that's being fought against too with the tradition and and so this this play it's this play is uh, dedicated in the front by Joseph Stein, Jerry Brock, and Sheldon Harnick, who we have not said as the authors yet. They are the authors of this play. They dedicate it to their fathers, right? So these are people who are, um, I mean, if you think about when this play came out in the, uh, in the 60s, these are people writing about their fathers moving away from the lands before and the struggles that they went through at this social upheaval point. And it is a very fair balance, <laughs> I think, for, for that argument, a very respectful and, and we, we've said the word balance so often. Jackson, what's the what's the main metaphor of the script? What's the title metaphor? It's a fiddler balancing on the apex it's a of a roof. Question of balance. <laughs> yeah. It's a question of can we create I think Tevi even says, you know, the goal of a fiddler on the roof is to just scratch out a simple, pleasant tune. It's not this Without idea breaking of his grandness neck. or everything has to be perfect or huge social idea. You know, it, he just wants to create something small and simple this happy little life without falling down and breaking his neck and that's the balance that the script does so well at portraying is people who are just trying to live a happy good earnest god serving life and face the challenges that comes with living a life like that and that's maybe why the musical is so well received and so much loved is that is such a universal theme none of us have you know even if you're a Jewish person, the connection to a Jewish community living in town in town in Russia in the early 1900s is tenuous. We don't. I don't have that social experience. Not right. a lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> but the experience I do have is that idea of just trying to live my little life the best that I can and bearing up against the challenges that I face in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that assuming of the mantle of, I just like, we're all trying, we're all working too hard. Most of us are working too hard and not sleeping enough. And yet we're just trying to push through and create this, you know, create a tune like the fiddler or create stability with my family or, you know, try to find the right thing for, for my daughters to marry, um, the right thing, find, find the right man for my daughters to marry. Um, I think that's absolutely true. It is, it is, it, it unifies across generations and across, uh, you know, across races, across class. Everyone who came to America has a similar story far enough back. And, um, yeah, I think... It's so interesting that we're talking about this. And at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how different the scripts Fiddler on the Roof and Hamilton are. And one of the ways that they're different is the different kinds of stories they're telling, right? Fiddler on the Roof is this small story of a family set amidst political turmoil, Mm-hmm. Hamilton is almost the reverse of that. It's the story of political turmoil and the story of, you know, the influences that a family have on somebody living in 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 a time of political 
change. Right. They're almost opposite stories. Mm-hmm. And yet they both carry really universal themes and messages. Yeah. And they're only separated by one, like by a very small amount of time, right? Like you get the sense that maybe one of the daughters could have a very similar story to Hamilton. Like it's, this is just the Fiddler on the Roof is a story about love for the place where they started. Um, Hamilton is a, is a story about love for the place where they went. Right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very small amount of time that separates it. And you still, I, I don't think Hamilton has uh, a, a whole lot of uh, fondness for, for Puerto Rico where he came from. Um, yeah, but, I don't uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but uh, these people certainly do. The, the characters of Fiddler on the Roof love Anatevka and would have stayed there for, for as long as they could if they weren't forced out. Right. And even that song has a beautiful subtlety to it because the song that they sing about Anatevka when they're forced to leave is a song about how this town has done really nothing for them. Yeah. It's left them poor and too hardworking and they don't have much and they're outcasts and yet they feel a fondness for it and a desire not to leave. What a mm-hmm. what a beautifully subtle picture. You're forced to leave and so you're reflecting on the things that are wrong with the place that you are and yet also reflecting on the fact that you don't want to leave. Yeah, and that is the value of home, right? Like what do we call home? Um, it's, it's, it's not the pots, it's not the pans or the stoves or, you know, the accoutrement of the place. It is the place itself and the people which you surround yourself with within and that the traditions place. And the and traditions. And the family and the love. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that identification, that feeling of belonging that you've been there for as long as you can remember. And, and there's, it, it, it plays a tune and hits a, a vibration within your being that nowhere else can really match. And these people will now, they'll go out, they'll find another place, they'll build another life, but it'll take a generation really for that, um, for that tune to be struck again within this group of people. Absolutely. I want to talk about some of the individual images. We've talked a lot about sort of the overarching messages you see across the whole play. I want to talk about some of the specific images. One of the images that I love in the script is Tevya pushing his own milk cart. Yeah. So at the beginning of the script, you learn in your in your like second introduction to Tevye or something, he comes home and he's pushing his own cart and he says, well, my horse is injured now. He's spending time at the blacksmith and then <laughs> yep. he's injured actually for months and months after that, we learned. <laughs> and so for months, Tevye pushes his own milk cart. Yep. What do you think of that image, Jackson? What's it, Is there a broader connection? What's Is it just funny? <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's certainly funny, but I think it's also... <laughs> it, it it feeds right back into the kind of complaining nature of Tevia. Like he just gradually goes from from you know kind of bad to bad to worse. Because <laughs> I think the line is, I, "If I can push carry my cart with two legs, why can't the horse do it with three? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do wonder if there is. There's probably some more imagery in that as well. Slowly, more and more, he is he is kind of the sole person fighting for tradition within his family, and eventually. Eventually, um, he, he's the only one kind of pulling and he pulls too hard at one point and alienates one of his daughters and thus kind of alienates a good chunk of his family as well because Golda isn't necessarily on board with this and none of the sisters are really on board with it, but it is him and he is pulling pulling for tradition in this moment. Yeah, they, 
the image of him pushing this milk cart is the image of the papa in this traditional society, right? He bears the weight of pushing this family forward, supporting them, carrying them. And then at the end, they, you know, they all leave on a cart as well. This idea of the family needing to gather up and move on. Yeah, and it's and it's again him, you know, pulling that cart. The last image of the play is is the the script calls for a uh, a turntable on stage, and the whole community is walking out of town, assumedly against the turntable. So everyone's walking, and the turntable is spinning underneath them. So it's kind of like they're on a treadmill, and there's Tevia with the cart, um, assumedly at the head of the procession, right, leaving town with their traditions. <laughs> And, yeah, and, and participating in, uh, they they say, participating in an old Jewish tradition, which is being forced out <laughs> of the places you live. <laughs> yeah. Exodus, right? They mention that in that scene, that this is, this is a continuation of what our ancestors have had to do as well, which is pick up and leave and go to a new place. So in this story about tradition and bucking tradition in some ways— they also find themselves participating in this old, reliable Jewish tradition, which is mm-hmm. being kicked out. Yeah. There's so many moments like that, too, where, where the Jewish tradition is harkened back to. You're talking about specific moments. And uh, the one that one of the big ones that stand up in my mind from my childhood of watching this mo- watching the film version of it is models a big song about uh, how God intervened in that moment. To, oh, uh, yeah. Miracle <laughs> yeah. of Miracles. That yeah. might be my favorite song in the whole musical. <laughs> it's so uh, yeah. wonderful and uplifting. Mm-hmm. It just, it's this belting soliloquy monologue. <laughs> <laughs> song sung about how what a miracle it is that Tevia is allowing Model to marry his daughter. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he you know, he he pulls out uh all the times that God intervened yeah, in Daniel in, and Daniel, David and Goliath. David and Goliath and yep. All all these old <laughs> stories from the Jewish holy book. Mm-hmm. He says those were miracles and this is a miracle. So again, that connection to tradition, right? God has a tradition of intervening in miraculous ways in the in the Jewish family. Yeah, absolutely. I just and it, and he's just he's also like <laughs> this character goes amongst the characters. This guy goes on a pretty radical journey. He's this kind of, he's a boy basically at the beginning. And, um, he, through some of Seidel's encouragement, um, and, and shoving at some point, um, gets, stands up to Tevia and gets to become a man in that scenario. Right? Like he, he, uh, he says, God has made a man today in that song. And he goes from this kind of, uh, quiet, nervous, please don't yell at me, Rep Tevia, um, individual to this huge, uh, vivacious number where he's just running around ecstatic at what God has done, which is a great journey to watch with a very small little arc within the story, but and then, a great and one. And then later on, he has sort of a similar thing happen when he gets his used sewing machine. You know, he's been desperate for this machine, and finally it comes, and it transforms his ability to be a man and provide in the context of this culture, because mm-hmm. now he can make real clothes, not just hand-stitched repairs anymore. He, he talks about how tight the stitches are, how quick he can make them, and how this is going to really change his trajectory as a tailor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such and, a great you know, and scene. It's an, it's an example of progress too, right? The 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 old style hand stitching is not is not equal. It's it's not enough anymore in comparison to this sewing machine. Yeah. 
That's such a great scene, too. Like, everyone is, they just had a baby. Seidel and Model just had a baby. And you're set up to believe that everyone is going over to ch- to see the new baby. Right, all the townspeople <laughs> are talking about how there's a new arrival at Model and Seidel's. Yep. And and you go over and you see the baby there, but everyone is there for the machine. Even, like, Seidel and Model are both, like, focusing on the sewing machine right, that just yes. came in. Like, everyone is there for that. And Tevia comes in. He's another moment between him and Golda where they're, like, struggling for power in the relationship. And he wants to see the machine and she wants to go home. And he walks in, opens the door, sees the machine, shuts the door and says, okay, now we can go home. Like, yes, it's, it's, yes. It's one a of great the great comic moments moment. of the play. Yeah. I love that scene. I wonder, Jackson, if we might talk about Golda a little bit. We've perhaps been tragically neglecting her as a character because she's such a force in the script. She's, oh, yeah. She's got so many uh, powerhouse moments that uh, that probably in some ways flip the traditional notion of the mama on its head and reveal her to be potentially the powerhouse of the relationship. Yeah. Well, she's like she she runs the house effectively. Like Tevia tries to counteract her authority and basically in the way of like, I'll go in the barn and pout and work on my stuff. Um, Like that's, that's kind of the way he maintains some semblance of control, but she runs the house completely. She, and she's the one who is kind of actually doing most of the matchmaking for the daughters. Like she's the one doing all the groundwork and then she just kind of shoves Tevia. You sort of see her make (laughs) schemes and plans and then sort of lead Tevia by the neck into them. Yeah. As if she's sort of, She's sort of pretending as if he really has anything to do with it uh, when really she's the mastermind behind the curtain. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's the one who talks to Yenta, the matchmaker. She's the one, cons- on, on many occasions, right? Uh, right away at the beginning, she's talking with Yenta about Seidel and uh, Laser Wolf, trying to set that up. There's another scene later on where she's she's talking to uh, Yenta about their two younger daughters who are very young. And Yenta just kind of wants to like lock them in to a relationship. Yeah, she brings with over these-, these two young boys and is yeah. like, yeah, they're all kids. Just pick them and <laughs> yeah, just we'll pick whichever one you want. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and and Golda's there for all of it. And and she's the one that Tevia tries to like <laughs> get get the uh the switch over to model past and stuff like that. But she is also this, you know, ever present caring uh guardian for this family, right? Like she is the one who is with the girls all the time. She is the one focusing on I mean the the list of things that she does in the Do You Love Me song. Like she handles all the milking of the, you know, the cows. She handles the management of the house. Um she does so much of the groundwork for the family that, you know, kind of it subtly boils throughout the play, but is is a very present theme as well. And she's I mean, she's kind of grouchy as a character. She's got a lot of snarky things to say about Tevia and yep. to Tevia. And it's all then revealed, sort of wiped away in the Do You Love Me song and revealed that all this hard work that she's kind of grouchy about is really the result of love. In fact, in um, another instance of that is in the If I Were a Rich Man song. Tevia talks about, well, yeah. if I were a rich man, I would make Golda the, the head of a household. She'd be decorated like a queen. She'd be so happy yep. yelling at her servants all day. <laughs> now, that's part of the tradition is you're grouchy and you're snarky, but it comes from a place of deep happiness and love for yeah. the situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. She is I, she is not shy. 
She is not uh, no. reserved. You know, she's very comfortable and loving in her family, which allows her to be sort of snarky. <laughs> yep, and then and then kind of that 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 level of you know in plays, uh, you need two people of equal levels of snarkiness, otherwise it becomes kind of toxic, and it allows both of them to be kind of nitpicky with each other, but you still can still sense that through line of love as the undercurrent. Maybe they never even, you know, identified it, but that, that commitment to each other is still that undercurrent of their relationship. And that's, that's very clear from both of them. Oh, we've got, we're, we're coming towards the end of our time again. You know, we've, we always have so much more we could say, I feel like at the end of these episodes, is there anything else you want to kind of capstone with here or? I feel very good about that. That was a really fun conversation about a play. That's just a remarkable story, a remarkable family, a wonderful experience. It's not, it's not my favorite musical in all the world. It's not the one I run and tell all my friends about, but every time you come back to it, it's like coming back to an old friend. It's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is how this story makes me feel. And it doesn't really end very happy. Not really. (laughs) They're all forced (laughs) to leave and all this Jewish community splits up. And that's the final image is Tevya and his family leaving alone. Um, but something about the, the the question of our family is important and is going to survive is just uplifting. Yeah, I agree. I'll definitely be going to see it next time it's near me. Like, <laughs> like it's it's just a good constant play. If if you uh, have read the play, I'm sure you've interacted with the play in some way. You all of you out there in you know podcast slash radio land have uh, read or interacted with this play. We'd love to keep the conversation going with you as well on on our uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at No Script Podcast uh, or uh, our email at No Script Podcast at Gmail uh, We we love talking about plays and it can be a kind of a lonely pursuit from time to time. I like to say if you're a person who likes reading plays or interacting with plays and don't necessarily have a place to talk to people about them. So if uh, if you want some place, we have given you one. We'd love to talk to you more about it. You can find our podcast on Podbean, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Play. One of the easiest ways to find a link is just to go to Facebook, to our Facebook page where the links appear um, whenever we post, post a new episode, which is on Mondays right now. So we'd love for you to check out our other episodes. If you liked this conversation, if you like some of our others, please share them with your friends so more people can join in on the conversation. Also, if you get a chance, leave us a review on Facebook or on Apple Podcasts. That will help us out a lot. Yeah, and tune in next week for another episode in Musical Month. We'll be doing uh, the band's visit next yeah, week. Yeah, brand spanking new musical, new. huge I have Tony yet to winner. Read it or listen I'm to it. I'm obsessed with it, so I'm excited <laughs> yeah. for you to get obsessed with it too. Yeah, I'm excited. It's I I am always excited to get a new musical, so I, I'm super pumped for next week. So uh, until then, uh, when we talk to you about that awesome play, I'm Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. This is No Script, the podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>